Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 127, The Five-Part Story, an interview with Sean Gaffney, coming to you on Thursday, February 14th, 2019. Let me tell you, I am one tired kitty. It's been a long day and, you know, along with a full-time job, keeping up the podcasts and not let anything slip through the cracks there, um, I have had quite a, a busy last, let's see, I started my job almost five and a half weeks ago. Yeah, about five and a half weeks ago. So... I am tired, and yet here I am saying, "Oh my goodness, I want to, I want to stay up later and think more about my new story and all the things that Sean talks about in this interview." The great part about being able to do a podcast is that I'm not only interviewing people, but then I listen to the interview a second time when I'm doing the editing, and listening to Sean, I'm just like, "Oh, I just want to go and write, and I want to go and think of my story and plot out some things and write some scenes." And I'm telling you, this guy, he really knows how to teach. And the thing is, he's got such an engaging personality that you can't help but just want to listen to him and say, please, sir, may I have some more? So it's not, it's perfect timing that this comes out on Valentine's Day because I really love Sean. He is an awesome friend and an amazing teacher, and you are going to love this interview. I hope you like superhero movies because there's more than a little talk of that as well, but we talk about all kinds of genres and all the ways that this one idea of story really permeates every great story out there. So get a cup of coffee or, you know, get ready to go on your run or whatever it is that makes you uh, feel like, ah, I'm ready to sit down and listen to somebody teach. And you are going to have a great time with this interview. Now, remember, um, Sean is going to be putting additional information about the five-part story on his website and blog. And I put links to that in the uh, show notes on podcast.rightnowworkshop.com. So if you can't remember like where you need to go, just go back to the uh, Right Now Workshop uh, website, which is podcast.rightnowworkshop.com and find episode number 127 and then there'll be links to his website. But it's gaffneyinkwell.com if you just want to go check it out right now and then click on blog. Um, it's, it's great stuff. It's really great stuff and it's reusable, which is awesome in our green 21st century. You can keep using this, this helpful information over and over again. All right. Have we gotten the point that I am really tired? I feel like, does that even make sense? Should I just redo this? No, we're going to keep on going because that's what we writers do. We keep on going. So get out there, do some writing this week. Think about story structure and how it works for you, whether you're a pantser, a plotter, or you're just kind of um, not sure what you are yet. Um, you're going to have a great time writing this week. If you just do a tiny bit, it'll make you feel so happy. <laughs> That's what happens with me. All right. Listen to Sean. Here we go. Today's guest is Sean Gaffney. Sean is an associate professor in media communication and screenwriting at Asbury University. He has worked professionally as a writer in theater, film, television, and the web. He was a story administrator for Warner Brothers Feature, editor of Drama Ministry Magazine, managing director of Taproot Theater, and general manager of Lamb's Theater Company. 
Sean has also been the master teacher for Act One Writing for Hollywood and taught at Biola University and Regent University. He received his BFA from Drake University, his MFA from Columbia University, and studied with Act One Writing for Hollywood. You can see his feature film in Lawfully Yours on Netflix. He is the co-creator and contributing writer to the ongoing web series, The Superbook Show, on YouTube. And Sean is currently working on a VeggieTales script and is setting up his next feature film, The Divinity School Murders, to be <laughs> shot in 2020. Welcome, Sean. Welcome. Thank you. Very nice to be here. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to have you on the show, I think, probably since it began. So <laughs> super excited that you finally Yay. had some time. Yay! Yay. <laughs> okay, so two things I just have to mention about your movies. Mm -hmm. Um, one, anyone who hasn't heard me say it already, I have seen Unlawfully Yours well over a dozen times and have had many friends come over and I'm like, oh, let's watch this chick flick. It's one of my favorites. It's really funny. <laughs> and the second thing is, so Divinity School Murders, this is based on a true story, yes? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, uh, first off, I love that I have, I have written a chick flick movie. <laughs> that Kitty Buholtz, my romance writer friend, likes. <laughs> that's that's kind of it. awesome. That's kind of <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't set out to write a chick flick, but uh, actually, you know, that, that's part of my problem. My career problem, uh, which is also my career glory for me, is that I've, I've never settled on any one genre or media. So career goes slower, but I get to write what I want to write, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> You know what? That is one of the things that I was going to ask you at some point during the, during the interview. So since you brought it up, um, there are a lot of people, and I know that you've probably been told this before. As a professor, you might have actually given this advice regularly. Um, but I don't know how many times when I was newer in writing that people were saying, pick a genre, pick a media type, and yeah. stick with it so that you can build up some... Um, you know, like a foundation of work, a body of work. But the thing is that the, there, you can point to people who have done it not that way and been successful. And yet it is a very, I would say it's a, it's a harder road. It's a, it's a much harder road. And, and I tell my students that I, in many ways, I'm the negative example. <laughs> um, and, and I think my career reflects that, um, to be honest. I think, you know, the, the smarter way to do it, if you want to be smart, um, and I'm saying smart, uh, with air quotes around them, without even having to do the air quotes, um, it is to specialize. Um, there's several things that specializing does for you. Number one, it makes you more marketable because people are going to put you in a box anyway. If you can beat them to the box and yeah. pick a box that you like, um, that helps. Um, it also helps if you become known as, you know, we, ha we have mutual friends who were known for the longest time as the um, action characters with depth couple. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and they would be brought in because we, oh, we've got an action movie, but the characters are, you know, kind of stink. Um, so <laughs> let's bring them in and they can enhance it. And those are the people you think of, you know, the moment somebody in the room says, wow, our action movie, the action's great, but the characters are lousy. All of a sudden it pops into your head. Oh, I know this, th this box. Yeah. People. So that helps. The other thing that helps too, when you specialize is it helps you get better faster. Right. Um, so if, if you decide that your specialty is rom-coms, but you're writing horror and you're writing action and you're writing, you're kind of, you're, you're all over the place. And, and, and you know how they say you have to, what is it? 50,000 hours or 10,000 10, hours. hours. Yeah. Um, 
if you're devoting your 10,000 hours to writing rom-coms, you're getting better and better at, as a rom-com writer and your rom-coms are getting better and better. Yeah. So focusing not only helps you with marketing yourself, it also helps you in, in becoming a better writer in that genre. The flip side of that <laughs> for a writer like me. So the smart way to do it, the smart way to do it would be to, to be Aaron Sorkin. Right. To become a brilliant playwright and parlay that into becoming a brilliant film writer and parlay that into becoming a brilliant television writer and then getting yourselves to a, to a point where you can write whatever you want to write in whatever media you want to write. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he is known for a couple of very specific things that, oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's totally Aaron Sorkin. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, he, and he brings it to whatever media he's writing in and he makes yeah. it work. Um, you know, he, he brings these things you learn in theater that are death on film and he turns it into visual, he turns conversation into action, uh, which is, you know, uh, part of his brilliance. So that's, that's the way to do it because then you're doing it at the top of your game or you can do it like I do it. Um, <laughs> and from the outset, um, write whatever you feel like you're supposed to be writing. Um, whether, you know, the thing that's driving you, um, the thing you're called to, the thing that has the opportunities. So I write children's, I write adult, I write horror, I write rom-com, I write, um, I write, as you said in the opening, I do a little bit of television, I do a little bit of film, I do a little bit of uh, theater, um, I write books, I write short story, um, I write web series. Um, so I'm, I'm all over the map. As a result of that, the downside of that, um, Kitty, is I'm a good writer. I'm not a great writer, but I'm a good writer. Yeah. And if, if I was a of a different, if I had different priorities, I would have gone straight from undergrad to Hollywood. I would have become a PA on right. some one hour procedural. I would have worked my way into law and order and I would have spent 20 years very successfully <laughs> making a lot of money as a staff writer on a show like Law and Order, and I would have bounced to all the procedurals after that. Yeah. Um, I can do procedurals. Um, you know, that's something that if I focused, I would have this amazing career. You would actually, you wouldn't have to introduce me. Yeah. <laughs> People would know me, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the thing of it is, that's not where my priori priorities are. Um, that's not my personal definition of what success has become for me. Um, yeah. part, part of that comes out of, uh, of a faith, from, from kind of a faith background of where do I think God is going to make me happiest? Yeah. <laughs> um, and if I did that, if I had followed that career, I would never have met my wife. I would never have had the experiences I did. Um, I, I would not be as good of a teacher as I am. I, I'm having a second career now at age 50 as a, as a professor. Yeah. Um, it kind of started in my late 40s. This is my third complete change of career in, in a way. Uh -huh. um, and and, and the, the experiences, the multiple experiences, you know, I'm, I'm at a small school um, where I'm teaching, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for teaching, you know, screenwriting, but I also have um, people who want to write television. I teach television writing classes. I have people who are doing web series and I can comment on that. I've, I have, um, in, in my classes, I have creative writing students who aren't really screenwriters, um, but they're creative writing. And I can speak to them about what it's like to write a novel, what it's right to, like to, to write short stories. I'm dealing with a lot of journalism students and I've had articles published. So my, my background as, um, um, 
uh, Harry Chapin, he has a line in one of his songs that says, I had my share of small time glory um, <laughs> or small town glory. And, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm yeah. happy with that. I've had, I've been able to write veggie tales. I've been able to, I've had uh, a, a chick flick made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the variety I've had has been glorious. The writing career I've, I've had has been, has been lovely on a very small scale. Yeah. Um, but still lovely. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would not, if I could turn back the time, I would not go back and do it the smart way. Um, but for your listeners, what are your priorities? What are your goals? Um, yeah. so you got to think in terms of, ah, maybe I don't, I will yeah. say this too. Um, I'm, I'm not even giving you a chance to ask questions. We're almost out of time. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, we'll wrap up after this. <laughs> okay. And another positive to being a writer like me that is in a wide variety of things um, is it also gives you the flexibility to go where the jobs are. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the, my first feature film got made because the school that I was at was looking for a script to send to Corbin Burnson. <laughs> And I had written a rom-com yeah. <laughs> you know, with, with a strong female lead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, I had it ready to go. If I was focusing on just being a television writer, I would not have had that ready to go. And there's yeah. been a lot of ch times in my life where somebody said, oh, I wish we had this thing. And I said, oh, I can write that thing. Right. And I, and, and I do have the, the, the breadth, the jack of all trades that allows yeah. me to write that one thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my new job is only a little bit newer than yours. <laughs> so I've been at my new job five weeks, but because I have done a whole bunch of different kinds of things in my writing career. And when I say writing career, I'm talking about like big umbrella that like yours includes yeah. teaching and some other things as well. Um, I had a CV that had weird stuff on it that they were like, we like this weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think that, sorry, yeah, I, I, not to interrupt you, but I, I think that maybe what we're both saying is, is um, think about what your long-term goals are as far as um, heart, money, um, what kinds of opportunities you might want to take up, where family. family, exactly how much time that you have to give to things, and then make a decision that you just choose to be happy with. You can change your mind later, but don't change your mind every week, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was an issue for me in the beginning because I was like, well, romances are selling. I should write romance. But then I was trying to write the romances that were already out there. I'm like, I don't like writing these romances. <laughs> John, John August, because I'll tell my students this too, it, it's, it's always dangerous and rarely pays off to chase the market. Um, so, you know, in talking about genre, what genre should you write in? Um, and John August has my favorite answer for that. He says, whatever genre gets your butt in the chair in front of the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I um, just for the fun of it, like I, I probably have told you, or, or if not, now I'm telling you. So most of 2018 for me was spent um, moving to a country whose language I didn't know and customs I didn't know and um, understanding what burnout is and why do I feel so bad all the time and then better and then bad again and then better. And yeah, so it was a very up and down sort of year. And so at one point I wasn't getting anything done. I felt really bad about not writing anything. Um, I, I had this production schedule that had just been 
you know, burned in a fiery pit of, yeah, dead hopes and dreams. <laughs> I mean, that's how it felt, you know. And then one day I just had this idea. I'm like, you know what? I'm writing it. And I wrote three chapters on this like dead girl ghost chiclet <laughs> that was making me laugh. Well, first it made me cry because I had to kill her. But then it was also making me laugh and I loved it. I don't know if it will ever see the light of day. I have no idea if anybody else would ever read it, but it got me writing again for a little while and made me happy. Write, write what makes you happy, write what makes you write. Because you never know. The experience of it might lead to something else. You might draw on it when you're writing something else. Yeah. Um, my, my big breakthrough in the industry outside of, uh, you know, the thing that moved me from theater, uh, out of theater into film, uh, was my Veggie Tales. And I don't know if I ever told you the story of how <laughs> I sold a Veggie Tales script, um, but I'll tell it now. Tell me now. <laughs> so this, was the, this was in the, uh, during the uh, early days, first season, I think. Um, they were still working on the first season when, when it, this started up. Um, and I, I was an adult talking with other adults about how much we love VeggieTales because it, it really was, it's the Looney Tunes of our generation in that, yes, it's a cartoon, but adults, there's a lot of stuff for adults in there, right? Yeah. Um, so it's making us laugh. We loved it. Uh, talking with this friend and he, he said, well, you know, too bad they're so limited. And I said, well, what do you mean limited? And he said, well, there are so many Bible stories that you just can't tell for children. I said, well, like, like what? And he said, like David and Bathsheba. You could never tell David and Bathsheba for children. So I took that as a dare and <laughs> wrote a spec VeggieTales script uh, about a king who, and, and part of the dare is not only would I write it, the David and Bathsheba story, but I would include the scene where David is on his rooftop and looks over and sees Bathsheba bathing. <laughs> So I came up with this idea of a king who loves to spend all of his time in the tub with his bath ducky. And he looks out and he sees Junior with his one bath ducky and he decides, I'm going to take his bath ducky, sends him off to the pie war. And so basically recreates that story um, right. in a way for, for kids. So I did it just, to, just for fun, just for kicks and giggles. Um, yeah. I knew that VeggieTales was not looking at outside writers. Phil Vischer was writing everything. Um, and so, that, you know, that was end of story. It was just, see, isn't this funny? You can do that. Um, and then um, I had a, a, a friend who was being, who's an animator with Microsoft, and he was being courted by Big Idea to move to Chicago uh, and to work for them. And so during the interview, and they said, so what else can we do to entice you to move? He said, well, while we're talking about that, would you read my friend's script and handed them a copy of my script? Oh my um, goodness. It, it took a year. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they, they actually tried to buy it right away and then decided they didn't want it and then um, came back. That's another, I and mean, that's like a Hollywood story of, of why. Um, and it was completely rewritten by Phil and made 100% better than what I had submitted. <laughs> but that was my big sale into, you know, and that put my name on as a, a VeggieTales writer, uh, writer for Big Idea, which um, got me a lot of other jobs as people were Googling, like, I need an animation writer. Who's out there? Yeah. Oh, let's try this guy. He, you know, he's got some credits, but not enough to, he's going to be expensive. So <laughs> right. um, yeah. yeah. So it, it was, again, it was something that I wrote um, ju just like you wrote something to make you happy, just to make you giggle. This is yeah. something I wrote just to make me happy, just to make me giggle. It was meant to be seen by my friends and not really go much past that. Um, but you never know. Yeah. You never know. 
Yeah. You know, um, this might be a good time to segue into a very important topic and one that I know is dear to your heart because I have heard you teach on it multiple times when you and I have been teaching together. And uh, one time you came to visit us in Australia, we were all hanging out and you just started like talking about this whole structure thing and you wrote it down in like eight sentences on a piece of paper and somewhere in all of my boxes of stuff, I still have this piece of paper that you wrote on in Australia because I thought this is so simple that it's brilliant. So let's talk a little bit about structure because it's all good and well to write what's in your heart and what comes out of your brain in these moments of, you know, weird, I just woke up from a dream, but without structure. Let's just let yeah. you take it from yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, I just in class yesterday, um, there's a, there's a video out there. Um, I'm going to name it. I probably shouldn't because I'm about to trash it. Um, <laughs> if you Google a toy story that will make you cry, okay. you will find a short video. Um, it's, it's a, um, a, a story about a, a toy robot who sees a toy doll and falls in love and runs over to her and they get married and they have this happy life. And then at one point she dies and <laughs> he sacrifices his battery so she could live. Um, and it, it actually was, I think, sponsored by uh, Energizer. Okay. <laughs> so the first lesson is if you're trying to figure out how to get your short film made, put in product placement, contact them and say, Hey, would you pay for this? And you can use it as a commercial. There you go. Um, the problem with a toy story that would make you cry first off is that they, tell you in the title that they're trying to manipulate you. Um, right. the, but it, you know, I, I, I played it and then I asked the students, did anybody cry? I'm like, nope, they were bored. They didn't, could care less. Mm. It's like, it's a toy that died. How could you care less? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it, but the biggest is structure is they did not have obstacles um, in, their, in their life together until the very, very end when she died. So they never earned their happiness. It didn't cost them anything. And so we were not vested. Whereas if you watch the first 15 minutes of Up. I knew you were going to say that. Oh my gosh. Right? You're devastated. Or there, yeah. there's, a, there's a, um, a movie out there now that was uh, one of the contenders for the Oscar called Lost and Found. It's a short film. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's worth seeing. Um, if you have a heart, you'll be bawling. <laughs> <laughs> because in part because it's structured properly. It's, it's got a hero with a goal and the goal has obstacles and that's what makes you care. Um, in Up, you care not because, oh, this is a couple that's very happy and then she, she dies. You care because it's a struggle for them to get together. It's a struggle for them to stay together. Yeah. Um, and, be, and they earned their happiness. And when she dies, you, you didn't just go, oh, well, look, you know, hey, I found a, doll a free dollar on the street. Oh, and I lost it. It's like, yeah. I earned that dollar. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you, become emotionally, you become emotionally invested in your characters through the conflicts they have to overcome. And the easier it is for them to overcome the conflicts, the less you're going to care about them. Which is also, you know, one thing I, 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 I warned Kitty, I was going to talk about a, a, a big event movie <laughs> from this past year, that one of the reasons it doesn't work is their conflicts are easy to get over. Um, so yeah. you, you don't emotionally invest in the characters. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's a big part of structure that people, um, all of these elements of writing, structure, character, dialogue, theme, um, all of them, we talk about them independent of each other but they're all intertwined. Mm 
Yes. They're, they all, you can't really separate them, which is why our friends um, who are the good character um, or action movie with, with characters with depth thing is because they understand that. So they don't go in and rewrite the character. They go in, they dive deep into the plot and, they, and, and the themes and they figure out who this character should be within that mix, yeah. right? Yeah. So anyway, oh, so structure. Do you want me to give you, uh, so I'll give you, I'll give you all um, a, a, an improv game that gives you the overall arc of structure uh, uh, very, very quickly. Um, and, and actually what, what I'll do, Kitty, is um, I, I'll, try to, I'll try to give a, a written thing for it because we don't really have enough time to really dig into it. Yeah. But it, it basically, every, every story has five parts to it, if it's a good story. Um, it has a balance where the story starts. What is the normal world where you establish who the characters are and what's normal in the world? It has an unbalance. Something happens, an event happens that throws the balance out of whack. Um, and, and the key is, is it has to be something that happens <laughs> and it has to throw it out of whack. Now, there are too many stories where nothing really happens until you get to the crisis. Yeah. Um, the third part is the quest, um, which is also called Act Two. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the journey that the character goes on to resolve the balance. And again, the key there is they're going, the main character is going to do something and they're going to do it to restore balance. The, the fourth part is called the crisis. Something happens that prevents the quest from working. I mean, again, it's something that happens and it's direct to what they're trying to do and it completely blocks it. And then the fifth is called the new, uh, the new balance. And in the new balance, some sort of balance is restored. Yeah. And the key with new balance is that it has to be new. The key is the word new. Okay. If it's not new, then why have you gone on your journey? Right. Um, and the journey becomes a waste. Yeah. So you always want the main character to end in a different place than when they began. Um, so the Lord of the Rings begins in the Shire and it ends in the Shire, but the Shire has completely changed because of the events that have happened. And our four hobbits have completely changed because of the events that have happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a very, very rare instance of stories where the characters do not change but the audience has changed. Interesting. Um, okay. and, and it's very rare. It's only about the 5%. So if you're a beginning writer, don't try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to succeed. Um, but, but there are, you know, uh, and, and I, can, I can only come up with like um, the drop, um, which was, uh, um, I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, um, I want to say it was Clive Owens, but it wasn't Clive Owens. Um, uh, well, anyway. His name will come to me. Yeah, it'll come. <laughs> um, but it, 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 was, it was a movie where you get to the end and you think that the main character has changed. And um, what you realize when you get to the end is, oh, I misunderstood who he was. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> so the audience's perception of what they watched has completely changed. Yeah. Even if the main character hasn't changed. But that's very, very rare. And 95 yeah. plus percent of the stories that we're going to tell um, you know, Cinderella has changed. What, you know, so whether it's a bedtime story, the, 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 the um, romantic lead has grown up. At the right. beginning of the story, she wanted love, but she wasn't ready for it. She wasn't, she wasn't grown up enough to have love. Yeah. And that's why it's such a happy ending. Yeah. Um, you know, in the movie, you know, the, the, the guy has learned something about himself um, that he now knows or learned something about the world. Shrek 
You know what? Shrek is one of my favorites oh, because yeah. when Shrek wins, when he gets what he wants, his quest is successful is the crisis of the movies, the lowest point of the movie because he wants to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he gets it. He's sitting there alone. The <laughs> Alleluia, uh, you know, song uh, Buckley is singing Alleluia and we're all sad and weepy because he got what he wanted. And yeah. we're hoping the movie doesn't end. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, because if Shrek is not new at the end, we're not happy. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, Shrek is one of the series that um, I don't know what it is because it, it's hard. That's probably why it's hard to write um, uh, sequel after sequel and have them all be really good. But it seems like there's an awful lot of things where um, if there were four parts, I liked parts one, two and four. <laughs> so uh, Heroes was one. I didn't even I'm almost right. positive it was season three. It's the villain season. I didn't even buy it, which I couldn't believe. Like I own three out of four seasons of the TV show and I just skipped the one in the middle. But Shrek was the same. I real I loved one, liked two, didn't like three, and thought I was gonna cry all the way through four. I'm like, oh my gosh, they really knew how to do it again in four. So I haven't seen four. Oh Here, here's the thing it's heartbreaking with Shrek. And, and wonderful. Here, here's an insight to Shrek. Part of the problem of Shrek is after the first one, they changed the premise. The oh, reason yeah. the first one works, go back and rewatch it. The secret of the first one is we think it's the story of this human princess who's cursed and she turns into an ogre every night. That is not the story of Shrek. Shrek is the story of an ogre princess who is cursed and turns ugly by turning human during the day. Yeah, and yeah. Go, go back and rewatch it. And it is 100% there. And that's why it works. Yes. When, when, the, when the curse is broken, she turns beautiful. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's yeah. part of why it works is because there's this, there's this underlying theme, this yearning of, of who are we? So it's a, it's a yearning of identity. And for Shrek, his personal identity isn't found except in community. And that's why he needs the community at the end. But it's also Donkey figuring out what his identity yeah. is, which is why Donkey and Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Couple, right? <laughs> and and it's, it's the princess accepting what is beauty. And right. when she turns into an ogre at the end, she's beautiful. And, and she and loves herself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because you were saying, you know, the, um, the, not the climax, but the, the, uh, the crisis crisis in, um, Shrek one was he got what he wanted and we're all mm -hmm. sad. Um, mm -hmm. the thing that I thought was so interesting about, um, number four is it starts with him having what he thinks he's always wanted and then deciding that this isn't what he wants and he wants to get away from it. And then when he does, he's like, okay, now I'm away from it and I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't that true? Isn't that true of life? Yeah, it really is. It's just probably part of the reason why I was like, oh my gosh, this movie like totally <laughs> hits it. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. Um, you and I love to talk about superhero movies, and I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to label this episode, what title to give it, because we're going to talk about 72 things in, you know, less than an right. hour. But when you were just now giving us the five, um, uh, I can't remember exactly what you called it, but the five points of, yeah, of the, five, the five parts of story. Yeah. Parts of story. Yeah. The um, improv game is called the five sentence story. Five but sentence story. You, you, 
you need to expand the number of sentences depending on what you're working on. So I call it the five-part story right now. We'll see what we call it tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. You know what? That is the thing that we were talking about in Australia in 2010 mm -hmm. or something like yeah. that. Okay. So, um, so it makes me think about, I might be wrong. It's totally fine to tell me I'm wrong. But um, we, when we were talking about what should we talk about on the show and you were listing like two or three different superhero things that we could talk about too, including you mentioned uh, Avengers Infinity War. Ah, yes. And when you were just now saying the five-part story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that I can see it in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mar Marvel does a marvelous job of yes, structure. Pixar is, is the king of structure. Yeah. Um, if you really want to figure out structure and how structure makes you feel, Pixar is the way to go. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about, um, so I have this theory, um, which I actually just shared yesterday with my, with my students too. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we know that the DCU, the Warner Brothers movies, um, not, in, not including The Dark Knight, but the new Batman. And um, just for people who don't know, we're talking about the DC Comics Universe, DCU. Yes, DCU, DC Comics Universe. So that's the Batman movie, the Justice League movie, the Superman movie, the Wonder Woman movie. Um, and then there's the MCU, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which are the Avengers and Iron Man and Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange. The MCU is pretty universally known as better movies. <laughs> yeah, sadly, yes. <laughs> sadly, yes. Very sad for me because I'm a DC fan and I'm a Warner Brothers ex-employee. That's right. But I will say this right off the bat, they are better. Um, and the reason that they're better, in my opinion, goes to why Infinity War had to end the way it did. So I know there's a lot of emotional... <laughs> Um, so I'm going to spoil a lot of movies right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it ends with the, with the um, villain winning. Um, right. And half of the universe is destroyed. Um, so all of these fan favorites are dying. You know, they basically, the heroes have lost. It's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, and it's one of two tragedies that MCU has done. Um, so that's one thing uh, that differentiates the two companies is the DCU tends to think that superhero is a genre the MCU understands that superheroes are just the characters in their stories and each of their movies is a different genre. So oh. they'll do a war movie, Captain America, um, uh, the first Avenger. They will do a spy movie, uh, which was the second Captain America movie. They'll do an action movie. They'll do a romantic comedy. Um, they'll do, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the first um, Thor was, was more of like, a, they, hired, they literally hired Kenneth Branagh, a Shakespeare director, because it was supposed to be this epic Shakespeare brought to earth kind of story. <laughs> so they're not afraid to mix up the genres. Um, so here's the big difference, and here's, here's why Infinity War had to end as a tragedy. In the DCU, um, uh, which up till now has been led by Zack Snyder, um, Zach, if you look at his movies, one of the recurring themes is he is a great believer in might makes right. Um, yeah. he, he believes that the winner is whoever is physically strongest. Superman is able to win because he's physically strong enough to snap Zod's neck, right? Um, uh, the Justice League movie, um, it's all about this guy that we're fighting is stronger than us. We cannot win unless we find someone who is stronger than he is. And the moment they find someone who is stronger than he is, the fight's over, right? 
because right. you have succeeded. Um, even Wonder Woman, which was the best of the movie so far. I agree. <laughs> The climax of it, the climatic battle, comes down to who is physically strongest. Yeah. Um, and it kind of undercuts a lot of what we loved about the movie up until that point. Yes, I it was think. the only part of the movie that I really didn't like, and I sort of wished that I could just edit it out and watch that version. And watch it without, yeah. So, so that's the DCU. In the DCU, whoever is strongest wins. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whoever has the stronger character wins. And by character, I don't mean like a, a, a physical character, but I mean who you are, the character who you are, biblical character, moral character, ethical character, movie after movie, it's about that. So if you look at um, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange is not stronger than Dormammu. He is never, ever, ever gonna win against Dormammu, but he has greater perseverance. And because he has that character trait, he wins the movie. Um, yeah. Iron Man and the Avengers. They point this out so blatantly. Several times throughout the movie, Iron Man mocks Captain America because Captain America believes in armies and part of being in an army is that a soldier is willing to sacrifice himself for the larger good. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stark mocks it, right? Yeah. How do they win? They don't win because they're stronger than the alien army. They're not. They win because Iron Man sacrifices himself for the greater good. Yes. Right? Thor the characters Ragnarok. are changing. The characters are changing. They're either changing or something within them comes to the forefront. Thor Ragnarok, he has to give up on materialism and a sense of power. The moment he's willing to say Asgard is not an object worth saving because objects aren't worth saving, he's able to win that movie. The very first Thor, he has to learn about humility. When he, when he learns humility, he literally becomes worthy to pick up the hammer, right? So yes. it's about, are you worthy? Yes. Um, T'Challa, proves it's not strength that makes you the king, right? It's character that makes you worth being king. Spider-Man um, in Homecoming, he, has, he holds onto justice and mercy at the same time. And that's what allows him to not only to win, but we see in the tag at the end, it's what saves his identity yeah. because, because of the mercy that he showed to the vulture, right? Um, uh, so there are two um, tragedies. <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. One of them is the Captain America Civil War. Right. It's a tragedy, and you watch. Why is it a tragedy? Because Iron Man grows as a character. He, start, he starts out, he needs to grow, he grows as a character, and then he refuses to accept his growth. He refuses to accept his new self and returns to his old self where he says, vengeance is how you should live your life. Yeah. And that's highlight with, with again, T'Challa up on the outside going, yeah, you know what? I was just like him. I thought vengeance was the way to go and I, I was wrong, right? Um, Infinity War, they spend their entire time searching for a weapon stronger than, right? And if they think if we can find a weapon stronger than, which Thor does, he finds a weapon stronger than and they still lose. Why? Because it's about the weapon. It was about trying the wrong way. And in fact, they almost win in Infinity War, they almost get the glove off of Thanos, right? Yes. Why don't they? Because of a character flaw. It's not because they're not strong enough to pull it out. It's because Star-Lord's character is not strong enough to win. He's yeah. too immature to win that battle. So they're very, very obvious about it. So I, my prediction is the follow-up movie, Infinity War Part Two. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be all about character. It's going to be all about soul searching. Who are we as human beings? What makes us human? What, what are those qualities of perseverance, of love, of integrity, of honor, of sacrifice? What are those qualities in us? And those are going to be the qualities 
that are ultimately going to win. Yeah. So that's my theory. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure that there are probably people out there who are there like, yep, yeah, nope, don't care about those things. But honestly, I love those elements. Those are the things that suck mm -hmm. me in. And I think even with people who would say, no, I don't care about those things. I just want, you know, action and a good fight. They probably are still enjoying a movie better that has yeah. these character elements in it, yeah. even if they're not recognizing why that's what the movie makes them. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's why in general, we enjoy the MCU movies more. It's not because they're lighthearted. It's not because they're funny. We're enjoying them because they're, they're serious about their characters. Yeah. I think we're invested. We're emotionally invested in the characters. Yeah. Now, the great part is coming back around to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about multiple media <laughs> and all the different things that, uh, that you've written and, you know, me and other people who are listening have written. So here's the thing. Um, this is universal in story. And I mean, we could, we could talk about nonfiction too, in which case I think story still makes nonfiction yeah. interesting, more interesting to read and, and you remember it better. But, but let's talk about fiction for a minute. So. Okay. For people who are probably mostly, most of the listeners are writing um, books, maybe short stories. Mm -hmm. um, what is your, uh, how, how can we take what we were just talking about movies, which we talk about because probably more people are familiar right. with movies and, and um, bring it down into putting words on the page. The actual physical writing, like where, where are the places that you start? Yeah, I, I, um, I start, I'm a big believer these days in outlining. Um, so I know in, in general where I'm going with it. I find those five major pieces and, and, and I can break it down. You know, we need more time for it to do it, but I can break that down into smaller pieces to make it, to make it more bite-sized. But I do like to, I, every movie I write, every, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing a VeggieTales. I, I, I put that into five sentences. What is the arc of the story? Um, I figure that out and I figure out the, the, the plot, but also the character arc. Focusing a lot on, on balance and new balance of where is the character going to go on this journey? Um, because then as you're writing, you're, you know you've got to move your plot forward, but you're also thinking about how are you moving your character forward? Where is the character on their journey? And because I have the five-part story, I know what the crisis is. I know what the low point is. Um, and the low point is going to be a physical low point for their goal. But even more important, as we talked about with Shrek, it's going to be the emotional low point. It's going to be where they're losing or they're risking losing the growth that they're coming through. Yeah. Right? Um, so, so that kind of gives me, as I'm writing, I'm like, I know, okay, where I'm heading to. The character needs to, by this point, be this type of a person. Um, the plot needs to have progressed <laughs> this much. Um, the theme, which is often tied into the character arc, you know, I, I, I kind of know what direction we're kind of going in with them. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also, you know, a huge fan of rewriting um, more than I am even of writing. Um, and within the rewrite, I go back to those points. I go, okay, did I, did I achieve what I wanted? And if not, is it better <laughs> than oh, what I wanted okay. to do when I started out? Yeah. Has it changed and is that good? Um, Pixar, one of their rules is you don't know what the theme of your movie is until after the first draft. <laughs> yeah. And now you need to go back and rewrite the entire thing from the atoms on up because, you know, theme can't be tacked on. It has to be buried in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, I don't know if that helps. But. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, um, 
I was just thinking about whether or not you're writing like a very complex murder mystery where your goal in life is to have like all the reviews say, I didn't know who it was uh -huh. <laughs> until the end, you know, yep. or, and I mean this with all love. Um, I love Hallmark movies and I mm -hmm. am um, uh, submitting to Hallmark Publishing, which is a relatively new publisher. Yeah. And the, the books are to be very much like the movies. Like they say, watch the movies to see what we want in books. Now, some people might say, it's such a simple concept, you know, boy meets girl and they fall in love at the end and then they kiss. Um, but um, it could be, and probably the sorts of stories that they would be most um, wanting to make into books or movies are the ones where the characters are changing in the ways that you've been talking about. Yeah, you want, you want your character by the end to have earned your love. And often that is through character growth. Um, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking into your field now, which I shouldn't. As you know, the thing that you need for any successful uh, romantic comedy or drama, I think, there has to be two factors going on at the same time. There has to be something forcing the two characters together, and there has to be something forcing the two characters apart. And they have to be at work at the same time. What's forcing them together might be, oh, we love each other, we're attracted, but you're a Capulet and I'm a Montague, right? right? That's forcing us apart. Or it might be, I don't want to be, you know, I hate you, <laughs> but I'm required <laughs> to spend time with you. Um, right. And a lot of that, that's a beautiful place for character growth. So if we think, um, uh, we, we had our friend uh, Andrea Nasfell, um, her, her recent uh, Christmas movie, A Christmas Romance, um, uh, Wait, it's something, every other holiday uh, okay. is the name of it. And, and the basic premise is it's a couple who were married and had kids and got divorced and, it, and not a happy divorce. <laughs> and so they're sharing custody of the kids. So they see each other once a week as they do the drop off. Um, so that's what's forcing them apart. What's forcing them together is their children's only wish for Christmas. Their only present that they want from Santa is for their parents to spend Christmas together with them. Aww. And so... Right, it's really sweet. Um, so it's the perfect kind of setup for that. And of course, by the end, you know, because this is in that genre, I don't think I'm giving too much away. Right. They're, they're gonna end up back together again. But because of this, this dynamic that they have to endure, um, and, and to make matters worse is they're spending Christmas at the in-laws who absolutely hate this guy, absolutely right. hate him because he's destroyed their daughter's life, right? Right. Um, so through all of these tests, we see the growth of, of both of the characters. Um, not giving away too much, but one of the characters who's actually grown before the movie begins, but nobody knows it, and the other one who has to grow over the course of the movie, but the constant testing of it. So when they do get together at the end, it is so earned, right? Because they have fought for it, because they've changed for it, because they've sacrificed who they were for who they can be for it. It's, right. and it's, it's not a complex movie. It's not, you know, it would, it would fit perfectly within this genre that you're talking about. It's, it's very straightforward. These movies in the opening, you know, before the opening scene is done, how it's going to end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? it's, it's predictable in that way. But it's also, here, here's the other aspect to it, is what Hallmark is looking for is they want familiar. Yes. And they want original. Yes. So familiar, um, which, but different. <laughs> right, right. And, and another way to describe that is fresh. Yeah. Right? So we know what it is. And, and one of the things that Andrea was able to do with her movie is, oh, I've not seen that angle before. 
I have not seen that particular set of struggles before. Yeah. Um, so yes, you know what kind of a movie it is. You know at the beginning, as soon as the girls say, we want our parents to spend Christmas together, you, can, you know what the last scene is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> the parents together, the family has been put back together, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you don't know how they're going to get there. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, you know, for Hallmark, I don't know, you know, what, 25 new Christmas romances every single year. Yeah, just um, at Christmas, not even counting, you know, the November yeah, just ones. at Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, 25 days of Christmas. So it's, um, I don't know how they do it. And, and I think they deserve some of the bashing that you get because when you're mass marketing to such an extent, there's a lot of copying uh, going mm -hmm. on. But, but you get those, you know, if you're going to be the writer of it, don't write a, oh, this is good enough for Hallmark. Right. Hallmark doesn't want good enough for Hallmark. Right. Write a movie that Hallmark is going, yes, we've been waiting for this. It perfectly fits in what we're doing. And it's, and it's, it's fresh and new and exciting even to us who have, yeah. who have to produce 25 Christmas movies right. every, every December, right? Yeah. So. And if you don't mind me using one of your movies as an example, one of the things that has bothered me in a lot of contemporary romances, um, particularly romantic comedies or something that's marketed as a romantic comedy, mm -hmm is when um, the hero and heroine kind of hate each other and are mean and kind of awful in the beginning. And I'm like, do they really need to be? I mean, sometimes it makes sense, but there was a point at which um, a few years ago, it just seemed like that was the way everybody was going in order to show that you know they right. weren't compatible. The thing that I like so much about your movie is that they're two really nice people who in the beginning quite obviously shouldn't be together. I mean, she pushes him into a grave, which I think is hysterical, but in the end, it's really both of them having to die to an old idea in order to be able to start a new life together, which I just, I, I mean. Thank you for picking up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted it to end in the graveyard as well as start in the graveyard. Oh. Um, and, and that got nixed by the producers as too much and too obvious. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it starts in death. And, and that's the lesson they have to learn. Thank you. The, you're welcome. But yeah, oh, yeah but two nice people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so it's, I'm going to let you talk. I was just going to say, it's funny all the way through. And now you talk. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and they, they are nice-ish people. It's, it, the funny thing about it is one of the notes, um, at one point the producers wanted me to, and uh, they wanted me to take out her interrupting the church service. Okay. Because they thought that would be considered rude. <laughs> and I said, well, if you have the right actress doing it, it won't be rude. It'll be natural and it'll be funny. And Chelsea Crisp, who is my lead, I adore her. If you have anything negative to say about her, do not say it in my presence because that's fighting words. Absolutely adore <laughs> her because she perfectly got my character, perfectly, um, and, and improved on it. Um, but, but the thing is, it has to come out of character. And the problem with the two characters who hate each other at the beginning is it, that only works. It does not work if you know that, oh, my characters have to hate each other so that when they fall in love, it's more interesting. It only yeah. works if it comes out of character and it's a natural part of the character growth. So like, um, you know, one of the movies uh, that I love is The Proposal. Um, so that's Ryan right. Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. And they hate each other at the beginning and they deserve to hate each other at the beginning. It's a natural part of their story yeah. and, and um, a natural part of what's pulling them apart. For mine, uh, we had their faith and we had the ex-husband forcing them apart. So we didn't need to work so hard on what's forcing them apart. Yeah. Um, you know, their, their, their attraction, the fact that they're 
the fact that God really kind of made the two of them to heal each other's wound is what's pulling them together. So yeah. I didn't need them to be mean. And I mean, I, I started out with the cute meat of her being mean because she thinks um, she's set up by her ex-husband to think he's somebody other than who he is. And um, yet she wasn't mean because she's a mean person. She was being, yeah. um, she was defending someone she loved and thought that yeah. she was trying to help. Exactly, exactly. And when, that com- when it comes out of character like that, perfectly acceptable. Perfectly, you know, it, it, you want it to be natural out of character, coming, the way it's coming out of your, their character um, and then becoming part of the character growth even. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a formula when you get into, when you do the formula, any formula, when you do the formula, you're, you're on the wrong path. When you pick up on the form of, of the way, the shape of something, you're on the right path. Oh, I like that. You should write that down. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm stealing a little bit of, I think McKee was the first one to talk about formula versus form, but yeah. Okay, don't, don't write that down. He, he I'll, might I'll, see you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'll pretend that uh, I created that. <laughs> you know what, though? That leads me into kind of our, our, last, our last area of the interview. So you have done tons of different kinds of writing. And mm-hmm. among other things, um, I know that you are working on a writing book, a book on structure, I think, right? And you yeah. said you're also working on a novel? Yes. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about... Because um, I don't overbook myself at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I've been working on the... The, um, the book is coming out of my classes. Um, as, as you can see from this, from this talk, I, I like to lecture. <laughs> yeah. So the book is kind of coming out of that. And it really, um, it, it correlates not only to the lessons I've learned from all the different people that I've studied um, about, about structure and how to structure a story. Um, but I delve a lot into the theology of structure. Um, so so for, for my faith, I, I look at, at, um, at Genesis, at creation, and I go, oh, I was made by a creative God in his image. And well, what is God's image? God is a creator. Um, so I believe that we're all made to be creators. Um, and I, and, I, and I, there's all kinds of lessons throughout theology, lessons about character and how to develop character. Um, you know, a lot of my MCU versus DCU <laughs> is all about realizing that MCU is really devoted to, you know, what I would call biblical character, but ethical character. You know, um, a lot of that, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. There's a lot of lessons about structure, um, how to tell a story, why to tell a story. There's a lot of lecture uh, about theme, um, even dialogue um, that, that come that, you know, my faith is kind of interwoven into the way I look at a lot of this. So that's what that, that's what that book is going to be about. Excellent. But I've been working on it for a long time. So we'll see if, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see if, I, if I get my butt in the chair and yes. start writing it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. you've probably moved for the last time for a little while. So you might have for some more bit. time this year. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm, I'm at uh, Asbury University. It's a great university. And they, they allow a lot of space for their uh, professors to be writing, especially in the summer. So oh, it's a great place awesome. for a writer to be. Yay. Now tell us a little bit, if listeners want to find out more about you, maybe stay on, stay in touch with you and find out more about um, when you're writing the book and when they might expect (laughs) it, because I think it's really going to be a great, I, I know it's going to be a great book because I've known you for a long time. I'm excited to encourage you to write it. Um, So how can people find you and uh, what else? Um, I'm not as social media savvy as a lot of other people, uh, but I do have a website. It's gaffneyinkwell.com. It's G-A-F as in Frank, F as in Frank, N-E-Y-I-N-K-W-E-L-L.com. Um, and maybe Kitty will put a link up. Uh, I will. With it. Um, 
and that you can go there. You can find my blog, which I haven't blogged in years. So hopefully I'm going to be getting back to that soon too. <laughs> uh, but you can also find news, uh, what I'm up to. Um, there's a way to contact me through that. You can kind of get a list of um, other places that you can find me um, on the web. Um, and if you do find me on Facebook um, and you want to become friends with me on Facebook, um, don't do the generic try to be a friend because I won't know who you are. Um, but you can say, I'm a friend of Kitty Buholtz," <laughs> or say, I heard you on Kitty's show. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll know to uh, click your click on you there. Excellent. You know, that's a good point. I keep forgetting to tell that to people. I, um, if you have been friending me and I am not friending you back, it is because I need a message saying who you are and why I know you. And then I will say yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Sean, this has been brilliant and fun and I can't believe that we were already over. <laughs> I know, right? I was looking at the clock going, well, we're about halfway. Oh, we're over. <laughs> I talk Thank a lot. Thank you so much. Oh, but Thank you for yeah, having me awesome. on, Kitty. That's a joy to be. It's a joy to be on here and it's it's always fun to connect with you and just talk stories. So Thank you. Well, thanks for being here and let's talk again when you maybe are talking about a new book. Okay, we'll do.